brewers talked about no preservatives and no nothing artificial and nothing, you know, no brewers tricks. We only brew traditionally. And then suddenly, you know, hang on, brute IPA, brute IPA. <laughs> Radio Brews News is proudly presented by Cryer Malt. With over 25 years in the field, Cryer Malt are dedicated to providing the finest brewing ingredients to help brewers create the foundations of a truly excellent beer. They are your premium brewing partner and proud sponsors of this. And this is Brews News Week. I'm your host, Pete Mitchum, and joining me is Matt Kierkegaard. G'day, Matt. Good morning, Pete. How are you? Five weeks. Five, Five yeah. weeks of lockdown. Not going crazy. Yeah, yeah, definitely, <laughs> de- de- definitely not going crazy. Yeah, it- yeah. Yeah, no, got to watch Warp now. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little bit go like Kmart. <laughs> now look, it's hey, how are you coping? Trying to find patterns, trying to find, and one of the things that I'm reading in the advice that, that you're getting is try and find routines and try and find, um, you know, uh, things that mark time. Um, and the weekend I found really, really hard, and uh, because I'm back at home, when you do a job that we do you're potentially always at work or always at home. And I, I find particularly social media is the, the blurring point for that because I, I think in Facebook, you know, I've, I've got two and a half thousand friends and, you know, that's just ridiculous. But Facebook is kind of, it, it is as much about work. It, it's kind of like LinkedIn almost. And on the weekend, I just found that I had to not open social media because so much of my Facebook isn't catching up with friends on their personal stuff. It's people that I know professionally sharing, you know, their latest, um, you know, beer industry pivot and how, uh, you know, different breweries are doing takeaways or they're doing bopple food supplies or they're doing this. And suddenly I'm thinking, shit, I need to cover that. I, 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 I need to make a note of that. And I, I didn't have a weekend. I was actually suddenly working and then feeling guilty that, you know, there's a brewery that I haven't shared their stuff or I haven't done this, which wasn't what you do on your weekend kind of thing. So, you know, it, it, it's been a bit of a struggle and I've, I've been trying to find ways to separate work from home during a lockdown in, 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 you know, and it's much more market than it normally is. Yeah, I'm a bit the same. I've, I've kind of or added a new one to the uh, uh, buzzword bingo, which is uh, social media distancing. <laughs> And I think sometimes you you just got to yeah you just got to switch off and uh, you know smell the roses a little bit easier I would imagine in uh, your your sunnier climes uh, down here we're certainly making the most of the weather while it's not drizzly or cold or windy um, and, and being aware that the longer this goes on particularly with you know two teenage girls in the house um, so during lunch breaks of homeschooling and that sort of thing we're making sure that we get out walk around the block. Um, you and I have been recording the antidote of an afternoon at five, and the um, Mrs. Pilsner and the two girls have been taking that opportunity to go for a decent walk. Um, so, oh, they don't disturb me, but it also just gets them out and you know in a different environment and um, and getting a bit of physical activity. I don't want to start the whole north-south war with you, Pete. Um, I'll say that up front, but you wouldn't, you you literally wouldn't want to live anywhere else than Brisbane at this time of year, because we just have the most, you know, it, it's starting to get, you know, maybe even down to 18 degrees of the mornings. Um, so, you know, quite chilly. 
but then the days are 25, 26, 27 degrees, cloudless skies, and you just want to be outside. Um, and, and that is a bit of a saving grace at the moment, it, you know, getting out and having a bit of a walk and things like that, just when it's just such perfect uh, climate. That's it. But there is news still going on, as you uh, as you suggested, Matt. And, and it, even uh, non-COVID It doesn't just news. stop over the weekends. That's it. It is. Well, well some of, of it yeah. s- still is. <laughs> it, it, look, it's funny. I think, it's industry you know, news. Yeah, when the this particular time capsule is opened in however many years, we'll look back and everything will be um, painted in the certainly with the palette of of COVID nineteen, uh, whether it's related or not, because everything is, um, I guess, informed by you know this new this new normal narrative that we're experiencing. Well, um, I've been um, just just on that note, yeah, like in the time capsule, there are so many things that are just so commonplace at the moment that. We probably won't forget one day, like, you know, people remember, oh, do you remember the great toilet paper shortage, which, you know, lasted for 30 seconds and it was, and suddenly you, you can get it. But, you know, just even every shop that you go to has crosses marking out one and a half, two metres front to back. So you, 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 you line up and then side to side and some of the notes and some of those things. So I've just been pulling out the phone the, the few times I'm going to the shops and photographing some of those little things. I'm sure we will forget, you know, in 12, yeah. 18 months um, yeah. and just record it because I mean, I'm sure there's going to come a time when we don't believe what it was like. Yeah, exactly. I'm particularly tickled by the um, the bodega, um, the handwritten note, you know, with the five five things, you know, here's what you all want to do. And number three <laughs> yeah. was no sock or titty cash. <laughs> <laughs> so I wonder, yeah, some things, you know, when we go back to the, you know, on the other side, uh, things will be changed irreparably and not necessarily for the worse in some instances. <laughs> uh, Matt, onto the news. Big brewers. Uh, back venues as alcohol sales decline. Now, this is interesting because I've seen a lot in my social media when I have been looking at it that um, alcohol sales are actually up. But um, according to this one, alcohol sales decline. Overall alcohol sales and volumes are down between at least 10 and 30% according to Alcohol Beverages Australia as the big brewers step up to try and help venues that have been uh, taking the biggest hits. Yeah, and, and look, there's a couple of things in, in this story. So we might sort of talk about maybe the big brewers um, first of all. It was interesting, in the first week or two, it was all let local live, keeping local live and keeping our venues alive campaigns really If this thing goes on 10 years, I reckon you still won't be able to get them right. Well, (laughs) Every time you do it, it's slightly... So hashtag keeping local alive, and then the Sydney one is keeping our our venues venues open. No, no, it's keeping our venues, it's Cova. Cova, oh yeah, keeping our venues alive, alive. yes. Um, But then there's you know, a half a dozen other similar sorts of ones on various scales for different industries, which is where the um, confusion comes. But anyway, it is all a bit confusing. Yeah, but, um, you know, I, I, I think that when when this first started, there was a perception small local venues are the ones that are going to be hardest hit. But then, you know, we are seeing, um, you know, the, 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 the big chains and or the, the, the bigger um, venue chains, are, you know, who have the Particularly bigger... Particularly the ones, as we said last week, that we rely on pokey venue. Who, who rely on pokey uh, revenue and also, um, you know... Revenue, yeah. Yeah, um, are, are the, 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 the big chains. But I, I guess, you know, a lot of those ones, um, you know, even if they're owned by, uh, you know, private equity or they're owned by bigger businesses, they are often rolled up, you know, with, with heavy debt um, and there's a lot going on. So we are seeing the big brewers working with those venues and all venues um, to do it. And it's... 
I, look, you can't take anything away from it. You know, buying you know as many growlers as they could. And I'd, I'd heard two or three weeks ago that the big brewers were sniffing around trying to get their hands on whatever growlers they could and then bringing them in. Um, and, and this is obviously the, 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 the reason. Um, and, and you can't take anything away um, from the, the big brewers doing it. You know, I, I've seen in our commentary people, you know, making a little bit of snark about, oh, you gee, CUB has discovered growlers or Lions discovered growlers. And, you know, like, yes, on, on one hand, you can sort of say that they're doing stuff that they haven't done before and there's nothing original about it. But, you know, when you've got 300 craft breweries all doing the same thing, I don't know anyone goes, oh, look, you're doing the same thing as that place down the road. So, you know, they've got their own audience, they've got their own market and they're, they're, they're yeah. servicing that. And I don't think you can take anything away from it um, in, in, in that sense. Yeah, and if you use a, a stone and wood or stomping grounds, probably a good example where a lot of you know, particularly through the venue, their sales really, you know, people might take a, a grab a six pack on their way home, but um, if they go to the venue, they're drinking um, keg product. It's easy for stone and wood and for stomping ground to turn those kegs into cans and then sell them through delivery, pickup, click and collect, whatever. It's very difficult for you know the corner hotel. Uh, which is just, uh, you know, it might have a bottle shop attached, but it can't turn its 500 kegs into, you know, pellets of of cans. So um, the, the growlers and squealers are obviously filling that void. Yeah, yeah. No, and look, I mean, everyone's doing what they can to, to work. And it, it was interesting for me is that I'd always assumed, without having looked into it, that the two big breweries, you know, would have had, you know, a, a big part um, of their business was tap beer because it's such a dominant part of our mindset of um, you know the, the the beer industry but as I've sort of dug a little deeper no one's actually giving figures but the, the best figures that I can come come at is you know the, the, the big breweries only sell about 25 to 30 percent of the beer that they sell is, is is through taps these days and the rest is packaged they they are hurting. I mean, there's potentially 30% of their business, but then so much of their relationship is based, you know, through contracts and things like that in, in, in venues, and they need to invest in supporting those those venues. On that, we, we did um, intimate in the intro, uh, as uh, big brewers back venues as alcohol sales decline. Uh, if you look through the news, certainly this week, uh, middle of this week, uh, FAIR certainly suggested that alcohol sales were up, Matt. Well, I can't, I can't have both ways. Well, you, look, you, you can, and again, it's always on how how you dissect and represent the figures. You know, if you remember, I think like it was still in March. I think it was the last weekend in March, just as the you know restrictions the, were hinted at. Well, the, the restrictions came in or came into force, um, yes. and they were just sort of working out how to do it. And there was a Sunday night, and suddenly there were these stories dropping, you know, you can't shut the brewing industry down. It'll take six months to scale up again. Um, if you shut us down, we are an essential industry. Um, and I think that was lobbying by the brewing industry, primarily the, the, the bigger brewers, um, to get on the government's radar that when they were coming up with their restrictions or when they were coming up with how they were going to handle this, the brewers had to be regarded as one of that thing. The side effect of that was that it, it suddenly created a perception, Jesus, 
bottle shops could be shut down, you know, brewers, I need to stock up now. And that was when we suddenly saw, you know, two or three days later, we started seeing the stories coming out of the, you know, Dan Murphy's and the Liquorlands of queues out the door as people were, were, were stocking up. Um, and so there does seem to have been a sudden rush to... to so, so we can't conflate buying more with drinking more. Well, particularly if it's a one-off buying spree, yeah. spree um, that was based on that. But then, it's like saying it's like saying, as you said, said before, you know, it's like saying that um, you know, oh, toilet paper usage is up. No, toilet paper yeah, purchasing is, <laughs> is up. We're not all of a sudden using more poo tickets just because of you know coronavirus. Great analogy, Pete. And yeah, so I, 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 unless the fear is giving us the runs, <laughs> um, which yeah, maybe it's not, or all this drinking that we're doing is giving us runs. But yeah, and you know, I, I think people are also locked down, and then anecdotally. Um, you know, my Facebook feed was filled with, you know, all of the wine mum memes and all of the industry, you know, sort of jokes about, you know, it's, you know, it's just, we even made one on the podcast last week, you know, with Stephen Beaumont, you know, when you're in lockdown, it, you're always in the airport and time doesn't matter and you can go to the fridge and drink whenever. So it, it creates an experience or a perception that we are all drinking more and you've got this sales data to back it up. And then also the way the media works, you've got a story on day one that breaks and then as it filters down through the industry, different news outlets find ways of covering that story themselves. And so we had a rush of news stories in, in, in the liquor industry, particularly of contacting, um, you know, uh, Booze Bud and um, Beer Cartel and those uh, places to phone them and sort of say, look, you know, are you noticing an increase in online sales? And, you know, they've got a self-promotional oh yeah look how you know they want to talk up their business and say how it's such a convenient excellent way to buy alcohol when you're in lockdown and yes we have noticed an, an increase in sales so you've got all of these um triggers or you know all, all of these things adding up to this perception that we are drinking a lot more yeah and, you take all the indicators add them all together and say we've got an alcohol problem yeah and and you know there, there was some data um commonwealth bank came out and had data showing that credit card expenditure on alcohol was up um, for, for online and for, for bottle shops. But then another column, because they separate out spending at hotels, you know, so I think it was up by 15 to 17%, but spending at hotels... Overall alcohol purchase, like, yeah, it was, was 10% down lower. Was 70%. But then, well, see, and, and, and that's where you, you, you know, we've only got really, really raw numbers overlaid with anecdote because... As I said at the start, if the big brewers' sales are only 30% um, of their entire business um, in, in kegs, which would be a big part of the, the hotel spend, that, but and you know, 60 to 70% of their business is retail, you know, a 20% increase in retail is a much bigger dollar spend than a 70% decline in hotel sales is a decrease. Um, they, they don't necessarily count each other out. You actually need yeah. to look at dollars spent and, and that sort of thing. And you know, and, and dollars spent in bottle shops are much more likely to be alcohol versus dollars spent in hotels, which could be you know a meal and a couple of schmitties, um, depending on how they calculate that data. And that's where we really need to sort of dig down a little bit more into it. But the perception was huge expenditure on alcohol when it doesn't seem to be the case. And, you know, 
we have seen fair capitalise on it in in one sense, you know, wanting to sort of say the government needs to look at online. Um, Because don't forget, about two or three weeks before the lockdowns, fair had come out with this fairly dodgy survey where they didn't even order any beer, but they said that there are problems with online purchasing of alcohol because we looked at their, their their ordering forms and it didn't conform to what we think alcohol ordering should be. And now these surveys are a thousand people participating in a YouGov survey. And I mean, whenever we get... Um, you know, online surveys from the big brewers or anyone else, we toss them in the bin because they're not worth anything. So, um, but FAIR is really an effective lobbying group and created this perception that we're all rolling around drunk um, in our homes at at the moment during lockdown. I I, I haven't, and again, I haven't had a chance to dig deeper into these stats, but there was a, a concern at the start of all of this, you know, is it on state of origin nights when people are at home drinking, you're going to see an increase in domestic violence um, and you're going to see an increase in crime, um, particularly uh, alcohol fuel crime. And w- w- the, the one or two stats that I've seen um, very briefly don't seem to be bearing that out. Um, so again, a lot of this will come out afterwards when the better data and the better data crunching comes out, but we will have a better idea, um, unfortunately, probably after it's all finished, about how we responded to this. But at the moment, you've got two opposing camps uh, you know, arguing over perceptions. Yep, which leads nicely into uh, takeaway alcohol restrictions have been lifted in WA, Matt. Takeaway alcohol restrictions implemented as part of the state government's response to COVID-19 have been lifted. The temporary restrictions were put in place in late March to ensure the state was well prepared to respond uh, as increased social distancing measures were applied. The restrictions were designed to minimise alcohol-related problems in the community, ensuring the health system, police and community services could focus on the response to the virus. And I think perhaps this in microcosm or is perhaps a, um, similar to the issue that we saw with Prancing Pony, um, which I think was perhaps a bit of a knee-jerk reaction based on the fact that it was the Easter long weekend. Um, and then as soon as that was over, it was it was lifted. I think this one was, yeah, we probably went a bit too hard, erring on the side of caution. But now uh, those restrictions have been lifted. You're exactly right. They were erring on the sign of caution. To me, this seems to be government working the way that it should, imposing restrictions at the start to make sure that it wasn't panic growing and there weren't shortages, which, as we saw with toilet paper, there actually wasn't a toilet paper shortage. There was a restocking um, pipeline. There was issue. a logistic chain, yeah, yeah, pipeline issues. And and then that fed a perception where people thought, well, I'd better buy some now because it may not, if there is a shortage, there may not be any when I need it, um, which then reinforced, you know, it was that feedback loop, making sure that the shelves were constantly empty. Um, and it, it, it was a very appropriate step by the government. It then prompted the retailers, as what we spoke about probably two weeks ago, um, the uh, Alcohol Retailers Association or Retail Drinks Australia had their own limits that were more generous to prevent, you know, uh, the, the harsher WA limits, but w- w- with that having passed, and the WA government has managed to assess whether there has been any impact from lockdowns on drinking behaviour, and I presume that they've found that there hasn't. They've uh, ended those restrictions, and and that's how these things should work. Yep. 
uh, and related to government and responses. The watchdog condemns big business payment terms. The ombudsman highlighted a number of businesses uh, in this a report. Is a small business ombudsman, I think. Um, it was uh, yeah. Kate Carnell. Kate is Carnell, the, yeah. Uh, Minister for, for Small Business. Um, so she included in hers uh, Big Brewer, Carlton and United Breweries, as well as department chains Meyer and David Jones and the Suzanne Group, owner of the Sports Girl, a clothing brand. Uh, a quote from her, when brewers such as Carlton United Breweries claim to support small businesses through this crisis by offering a buy one, get one free beer promotion, it's easy to point to their track record of seriously impacting small business suppliers with their poor payment practices, Carnell said of the brewer. A CB spokesman said that the brewer had recently introduced arrangements in line with the terms considered acceptable to the ombudsman and had always been flexible when it came to negotiating better payment terms for small suppliers, often arranging them on a case-by-case basis. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, look, and of course, CB are going to point to uh, the recently reduced arrangements that I think are within the 30 days. Um, up until then, CUB's uh, supply arrangements were something like 180 days. So, um, if you were lucky, yeah. Well, yeah. So it was 180 days from when the uh, you know. Uh, yeah, and look, it, do, it does highlight too. Look, why would you accept that? Like, you obviously feel as a big venue that is either tied or has an arrangement of some sort, whether it's, you know, a rebate or a tap contract, whatever it might be, that you feel you are in, you know, that you're in, 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 that that relationship is integral to your business. I wonder now whether people will say, well, actually, well, first first things first, maybe I can speak to my account manager or the, the sales rep who comes in and visits and, you know, drops off the posters and bar runners and say, mate, I need to talk to you about my terms. Um, when things are back to normal. And maybe, you know, do we now realise that, yeah, there's there's more than one way to skin a cat? Yeah, well, when you're looking at CUB supplies, that tends to be, you know, malt supplies, yeast supplies, um, glass supplies, and, and I guess a lot of them are bigger businesses, but there are a whole lot of small businesses that are affected. I mean, we, we've run advertising for CUB in the past and been on those sorts of terms where, you know, you, you've actually forgotten about the invoice by the time it actually gets paid. Um, it, it, it's so long. Oh, so, so it's a nice surprise for you, Matt. What do you complain about? Yeah, well, it's, oh, it's like finding it. It's like finding a fifty in an old uh, jacket suit. pocket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it is, it's pretty much like not so good when you're relying on that money to pay your staff. Um, yeah, true. And and that's the thing. And I, I bet you know. And I don't want to single CUB out um, for, for for this one because you, you do hear of a lot of businesses in the craft beer industry who have a very public perception of being one thing. But then some of their, you know, some, some, and, and these are the sorts of things that don't come out very publicly, which is why it's important that the ombudsman, you know, that we do have organisations like the ombudsman who can look at them because there are a lot of practices that don't match with the public perception. And, you know, it, it's, it's always a hard decision that we have as a news source that you get a story that comes out, you know, like when CUB does the two-for-one promotion. And I don't think we covered that one because, to me, um, it was a very brand... Like, the, I think we talked about it on the podcast. It was in Victoria. It was Carlton Draft in Queensland. It was Great Northern. To me, that just sort of smacked as being a business promoting it. You know, it was, you know, we're going to describe this as altruism, but it's basically us doing, you know, forcing brands down suppliers' throats or, you know, our, yeah. our customers' throats. Um, and it, 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 it's a really hard thing. 
and it, you, sometimes you have to look at the whole business's behaviour in, in, in general. Um, so anyway, but look, congratulations to the uh, ombudsman for calling it out. And also, you know, belatedly, congratulations to CUB for, um, you know, bringing their terms into uh, acceptable practice. Now, Matt, our last story, another interesting side effect, I guess, of, of uh, the, the uncertain times that we are navigating at the moment is rationalisation. It's, you know, changing business hours, it's changing business models and that sort of thing. And this is one that I think we might see a little bit more of, some forced and some taking the opportunity to say, okay, let's, you know, reassess how our, be- our business best operates. And that is news that Tribe plans to close Mornington facility. Tribe Breweries is to cease production at its Latham Street facility on the, on the Mornington Peninsula in May 2020. The Goulburn-based brewer has been considering the move for a while and the effect of the COVID-19 pandemic on the on premise industry accelerated the decision. Now, for those who don't know, there are uh, the original Mornington Brewery in Watt Street, which was the old exploding golf ball factory, a reasonably small facility, beautiful, um, you know, wood-fired pizzas and that sort of thing, but, but quite a, a small uh, brew pub style uh, is where they, I guess, started off. Then they moved around the corner to Latham Street uh, and built a production facility, which is, you know, your big uh, concrete tilt slab construction. Uh, you know, it, it's not a hospitality venue. It's a purpose designed. Um, it, it's, a uh, you know, a, a workshop, if you like, um, like, you know, factory warehouse style. Uh, and then obviously Tribe was Tribe purchased Mornington, taking both of those. And then uh, the old brew pack facility is still there, but they've now opened Goulburn as well. So you've got lots of different size models. They've obviously had a look at it and said, okay, where are we most effective overall? And, and the COVID-19 situation has, has forced their, has brought the decision forward. It's an interesting one, Pete, because we heard last week through a, a listener, I think, um, I, I think they're a listener, they're certainly a, a reader, um, let us know that Tribe was had communicated with its staff at the um, production facility, um, its Latham Street facility, that they were going to be closing it in May um, and moving production to the 35 million litre facility at Goulburn. And so, you know, touch base with Anton Spidalak, uh, who's the head of Tribe, um, formerly Brewpack, just to sort of find out what was happening. And in speaking to uh, Anton, he, you know, sort of said, well, look, you know, we've got this production facility in Morton. It's bigger than our uh, Watt Street facility. And then we've got our production facility. So it's sort of betwixt and between. Um, and we'll keep producing at the um, barrel uh, you know, facility, the, the, the Watt Street and uh, distillery. Um, and we'll close it because we don't need it. Now, the interesting thing is that it, it, it turns out that the, the business known as, um, now it's the Tar so, Barrel. Tar Barrel, and that, that's Watt Street. So that's the original, the smaller Mornington Peninsula Brewery Yeah. So, site. But that, so whilst the media release that came out and the discussions, um, and even when they announced the acquisition of, Mornington by um, Tribe, you know, it was Matt B became a shareholder of um, Tribe, the, the, the business was being rolled in, nothing would change, it would still stay the same, he would be involved. And there was the story, I think the um, Mornington Peninsula's largest shareholder wanted to, to sell. And I, I think, I mean, we spoke to Matt on a very early podcast um, and sort of talked about, you know, they had, I think, 20 or 25 months. 19 or 21 initially, yeah. Yeah, um, and that's the... It's separate investors, all of different, sort of different uh, percentage 
ownership. Yeah. And, and when you've got one that wants to leave, it, it, it becomes hard for the rest. And I, I know that Sean Sherlock found the same when they had their partnership. Exactly with, the same thing, just yeah, fewer participants. Yeah, um, and but you know, when when one wants to sell, you both have to sell, and that was the the, the, the issue. And so when they talked about it, as as businesses always do when they sell, they always say, you know, look, this is going to be good for us. You know, nothing's going to change. Um, and now it's changed. But it was interesting that when you look into the Tar Barrel um, Brewery, which is run by Tar Barrel uh, Proprietary Limited, that is 100% owned by Matt Beep. So it, it, it doesn't quite seem to be as clean, clear cut. And, and I, you know, I don't know what that means, but the, the, the Tar Barrel um, business is 100% owned by Matt Beep. So whether he leases that off... Um, the business that he also has from tribe, in, from tribe yeah. um, or whether they're two separate businesses these days. And so, yeah, so we, we need to dig a little bit deeper um, to find out. Um, so we have a bit of a chat with Matt um, about what that means, but yeah, because you can understand them not wanting a, a, another. Um, and this is where the whole thing of size does matter comes in, particularly now we talk about, and a lot of our guests that we've spoken to talk about, you know, it's either the small brew pub model or you've got to go big to go, you know, if you want to be national. It's very hard to kind of sit in between because you're, you're too big, your overheads are too big um, to be a small, uh, you know, or to, to finance a, a big running business, but you're also a little bit too big to be the the cute, cosy little brew pub. So I can understand them uh, not wanting to have a second uh, production facility when you've got a 35 million litre one sitting there in Goulburn that can, can can easily absorb those volumes. But Matt, it does raise the question, um, independence matters, local matters, until it doesn't? Tribe is an independent brewery because independent, you know, when you look at the definition of independence, my understanding is that Tribe is an independent brewery. Um, and it is, they, 100%. 100%. And, yeah, and so beer is made by them, Stockade and uh, are, are able to wear the independent logo, um, just as the publicly listed Gage Roads is. But Pete, you know, if you think back, you know, 15, 18 years ago, when we first started talking about craft, and there were all of these discussions about what craft meant, and Australia didn't ever really have a definition for craft. We looked at the American small, we, we, we independent, copy and traditional. It. Yeah. Yeah. But then, you know, we, we couldn't, completely copy and paste it because the American um, definition, I think, was initially 2 million barrels. Uh, let's see, 2 million barrels uh, is 200 million litres because there's 100, uh, 117 litres per beer barrel. So, yes, it was about 230 million litres. And at that stage, Cooper's was only 60 million litres. Um, and there was discussions in Australia whether Cooper's was could be an independent brewery because independent of the size. Yeah, so we yeah. couldn't exactly... You know, on one hand, there was absolutely nothing about scale that made something craft or not. Because no, it was we, not... we certainly, it's fair to say, we hung our hat more on the traditional side, which was the, you know, don't use adjuncts, uh, use barley, don't, uh, don't you use, know. Don't use adjunct sugars, don't use yep. enzymes to, you know, because enzymes were associated with low-carb beers, artificial, you know, beers that were low-carbed because of, Food science magic, which is what the enzymes, the, the added enzymes. Beta amylase and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, that um, playing and, along at home. And, and so, you know, brewers talked about no preservatives and no nothing artificial and nothing, you know, no brewer's tricks. We only brew traditionally. And then suddenly. 
You know, Hang on, brute IPA. Brute IPA. Well, <laughs> but uh, let, let us not start that again. But that was one of the reasons why you know I sort of made a point that brute IPA is this further devolution of what the idea of craft means. Because there was once upon a time when using enzymes for a, for that sort of functional purpose would have got you kicked out of the club. Would, would have meant that you weren't craft. And and even before that, we uh, spoke about a, a brewer on the Gold Coast. I can't remember the, the, their name offhand, but they started making low-gluten beer using the same enzymes that made low-carb beer. And we, we talked about it in that perspective. And Chris Fish, um, so I can remember the brewer's name, um, Chris was saying that you know it, it's something that's in my toolbox. It's something that I can use for a functional purpose. So anyway, so eventually craft became so difficult to define, particularly in the US where... You know, it went from two million barrels to six million barrels, and you know you could have twenty five percent ownership from somebody who wasn't a, a craft brewer, and then um, you adjunct junk sugars changed because we wanted to have the what, what's the big Yingling? That's it. Um, and, and because suddenly, well, hold on, they're a craft brewer as well because you know they're they're, they're independent, and so the move came more and more towards independence, which in Australia was quite quick to jump on the independence bandwagon. But we're starting to see exactly those discussions that we had around craft beer as to what is independence, you know, because can private equity, which is investing in, you know, mainstream breweries, you can still be an independent brewery. Um, you can still be an independent brewery if you're ASX listed. Um, you know, you can have 150,000 shareholders if you want, so long as one of them isn't CUB and Lion. So the discussion around independence um, just seems to be devolving the same way. Um, and what, is, what, what does independence bring to, to a beer outside of control of, of, of tap points and other parts of the market? Yeah, well, when we hung out on the on the word craft, it was well, you know, if you want to make a hazy, you've got to do the process so that haze becomes a natural side effect. You can't add bio cloud, you can't add cornstarch, you can't you can't add, add apple oats. pectin and apple, things like that that are there yeah. for no other reason apart from to make the beer. And yeah, there's a whole lot of things that craft brewers are doing in the name of craft that were once frowned upon because they were the province of big brewers. And there's a whole lot of things that are, that are done just for, you know, that, that, that are the craft beer equivalent of temperature chromatic cans that are nothing short of gimmicks just to capture... Or to be seen on the shelves. To be seen on the shelves, to be, yeah. you know, stand out for five minutes until the next thing rolls around. Um, and so, anyway, so here's so, the thing, Matt. Does it matter? I'm sure once it did, does it matter as much anymore that if I buy uh, a beer that says Mornington... Peninsula Brewery that it's brewed in Goulburn. It, it, does that matter as much as it used to? Well, to, to me, it, like I, I think it should, and certainly if you speak to someone like Ben Krause, it absolutely should. Because well, ben, I was going to use Bridge Road as the as the yeah. yeah. For me, I couldn't drink a Bridge Road Brewers beer uh, that was that was brewed at a production facility outside of Beechworth. But then, unless, unless it was owned by. But but we've we've seen a history of those things, you know, like mountain. But that's probably a bit different. Does it matter? Does it matter to everyone else as much? As long as it's still independent. But this is the thing. This is where, if you're talking about the quality of the beer, absolutely not, Um, because you can still make. You know, the the thing about beer is that, by and large, you can make the same beer in any facility because the it's the ingredients travel, the the liquid doesn't. So you can make the, the the same beer anywhere. Yep. But as a consumer, 
there are a whole lot of emotional attachments to a brand. Um, and so, yes, you can make the beer somewhere else, but does the consumer then feel shortchanged when, you know, uh, Mornington beer is made in Goulburn or, yeah. um, you know... Um, All I can say, Matt, is that that consumer needs to look carefully, perhaps turn the can around, and um, and hopefully brewers can uh, incorporate in their labelling more clear point of origin that sort of thing. If you need to redo your can labels or your bottle labels, Relling's labels and stickers would like to let all breweries know that they're still open for business. They can supply labels for bottles and cans or shrink wrap sleeved cans ready to fill. Uh, turnaround times may have slowed a little bit from their normal five to seven working days, but they are very good at getting people out of trouble where possible. That number, Matt, that you would call would be 1300 852 235 and discuss your options with the team. I imagine we will get lots of cards and letters. If you do send us in a card or a letter, and this discussion, as I say, I think will uh, has got a bit of uh, energy in it, all letter writers will receive a Bruce News bottle opener once we can get them, um, you know, perhaps locally sourced. Uh, well, we've got to get some, but I think we're going to get some shirts. I need to sort of follow up uh, with our shirt provider um, and get some shirts done. And also, I've got some of the lovely Deb, Deb Blue Bakes uh, gingerbreads. Um, with the Radio Brews News logo on them. We'll, we'll look after you. All our letter writers, um, commenters, all that sort of stuff. Uh, send us something in. We'll look after you. And Beer Cartel will look after you, particularly with uh, they sponsor our Letter of the Week, and we do thank them for their support. Now, the mailbag this week. Look, this is a good one. Uh, from James Davidson, long-time loyal listener and supporter. Hi, Brews News team. Just listened to the recent Beer is a Conversation podcast episode with Stefan Muhlmans and absolutely loved it! Exclamation point. So I wanted to write in and thank you for it because for me it was an unexpected joy and I think this is going to be the case for a few people, Matt. To be honest, the episode wasn't high on my listen-to list as the topic of yeast isn't really in my wheelhouse, but I thoroughly enjoyed the intelligent conversation around the enjoyment and passion for beer flavour. Too many times at beer conferences I had experiences with salespeople from the yeast industry who discounted or downplayed the role of hops and vice versa. So it was wonderful to hear Stefan's passion for all the ingredients of beer. Thanks for the increased appreciation for yeast and fermentation. A highly recommended listen. Also, please include Claire on this Friday's Antidote <laughs> podcast episode if you can. More podcast, Claire, another exclamation mark. Settle down, James. And more female voices in general. Please keep up the excellent work. Thank you, James. So sometimes you get emails that you know are on their face nice, but they, they are nice for another reason. And I mean, it, that conversation that I had with um, Stefan, I, I, I met Stefan last year when I was in... Lille? Well, Lille, or but even before then when I was at Seabrook. Through Bevier. And he was a really interesting guy. Um, you know, he'd, he'd spent, he comes from a food science background, but he'd spent 15 uh, years working for Yakima Hops, which I, I found, you know, the, the, the contrast um, between a Belgian beer lover and American hop sales being quite interesting. And then he went and opened a, a craft brewery, and I won't even pronounce that, and now he's selling yeast, which to me is a much more natural home. But when, when I, I spoke to him, he's a really engaging guy. But with the podcast, with the conversations, we try and provide engaging content. But at the same time, you know, when you're sort of doing your own thinking about marketing, you know, will someone see this in their feed and just go over it because I know when I listen to some of my podcasts you know when I listen to um, the WTF podcast with Mark Marin or whatever if I don't recognize the person's name I don't always jump into it no because you don't know what's going to be interesting about them you, you don't know and, and that's where you sort of hope that people go well you know these guys always get interesting people on um, 
Dildo, and get so, interesting stuff out of whatever guest is on. Yeah, so if you did skip this one, it's a really interesting chat with a really interesting guy um, that looking at the foundations of beer, but then also coming back to yeast, which for, for me, I always tended to skip over yeast. You know, yeast matters to Belgian beers, yeast matters to um, German wheat beers, but it's it's just the microbe that turns sugar into alcohol. It, it, it's never been given much interest. But if you think of the beer scene now with sour beers and bacteria, um, you know, cloudy beers and how yeast uh, plays into those, and then also the ultra-low alcohol beer without distilling, yeast is really becoming an important ingredient. And we get to touch on some of those um, initiatives. So, yeah, James, thank you very much for, for picking up on that. And if you're one of the people who would have skipped it otherwise, um, maybe go back and have another look. Yeah, and as Rick, Rick Benny, who's the uh, the brewer down at uh, at Blackman's Brewery, pointed out when we had a discussion about uh, lager yeast, the yeast is just another uh, tool and another colour in the artist's palette. In the same way, it's an ingredient, like you say, in the same way as hops and malt, um, flavourings, fruit, whatever else it might be. So it's it's and it's probably one that yeah, it, it perhaps not considered as much because you know, uh, I remember. I'm going to say James Squire Goldnail was the first beer I can remember where on the label it had Amarillo hops. And I thought, oh, okay, hops have, you know, there are different, there are names for them. Um, I don't think we'll ever see brewed with, you know, Saccharomyces, you know, whatever the particular strand might be, strain might be, but, uh, but it is, you know, it's the forgotten hero. It anyway. Is. And, and you know, again, you know, particularly when you start stepping into the nuance and subtlety of beer, um, it, it, it's, it's malt and yeast are the two ingredients that we don't hear talked about as much. But if you're looking at food matching, that, you know, I, I just, as we've said before, hops tend to overwhelm most foods that you pair with them, um, yeah. particularly the, 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 the bigger craft um, hopped beers. Um, where it's the yeast and the malt characters are the ones that you'll find the, the, the hooks to, to broaden um, the, the, the flavour profile. Yeah. Sorry, Pete, I just wanted to also say, yes, um, when he sort of said Claire, we will be getting uh, more uh, Claire on the podcast and also more um, Jimmy Gold. Obviously, with lockdown uh, and, and the technology we have available to us, um, it, it's a little bit harder. And actually, we would get Claire on the phone to join us the way we have with our antidote guests. Claire lives out... Um, in an outer suburb of uh, Brisbane, and it's, they've only got one mobile tower. Well, well yeah, it, it's it's very hard. Um, it, it's hard to get a really good line. It's it's a little bit like ordering uh, from a dodgy drive-through speaker. So, um, <laughs> the la- the lady down at the exchange has you know she's got a hold th- hold. I'll put you through. <laughs> That's the only reason we haven't had more of uh, Claire. But yes, uh, you will be getting more Claire. Yeah. All right. Uh, a couple more letters and then we'll quickly wind it up. Um, yes, I agree. We need more Claire. And that's from a C. Burnett of Brisbane. <laughs> uh, Wade Curtis on the Facebook group. Oh, we, we talked about the, uh, the the alcohol spending being down. Uh, and I think we mentioned last week about, the, and, and again this week, the dodgy fair research. To be honest, I don't think craft beer is seeing the same lift as other categories in bottle shops, but interesting to see industry groups versus fairs cut of the different research pieces. Hmm. And Rob Stewart on the Australian Brews News Business Facebook Facebook page, read the uh, the growlers. Um, pubs have already bought the beer. CUB already have their money. This is giving the pubs an opportunity to sell what they have sitting in stock. It also doesn't say they can only be used for CUB beers. This is the growlers. One of the venues in WA on the list sells some of the bigger WA craft brands. Oh, there you That's go. That's an interesting one. Yeah. Well, there we go. Well, Matt, that'll wrap it up for 
Just 266 episodes of uh, this thing we've been doing. Well, that's just what? episodes done as standalone episodes because we had the whole, you know, yep. we, we probably had 150 before then. Before that, yeah, yeah. We'll have to when this is all over. We'll have to do a you know a special. Uh, I'd like love to do when everyone's confident to get out again to do a uh, perhaps a Bruce News live. Um, at well, a, at absolutely, a yeah, absolutely. So if, uh, we did have we did have lots of plans for that. Well, we, sort of yeah, it, I mean, it, it comes down to money. Plans. It, it, remember, it, remember plans. <laughs> remember plans. But it, it's expensive to get out, um, you know, sort of take, you know, because so, we've got two lots of airfares and we've got accommodation and things like that to to do it. And we don't make, you know, the sponsorship that we get covers the hosting and the um, the editing costs. It doesn't actually pay us any money. No. Um, but we, we certainly do want to uh, work out how we can do it. Yeah, particularly once this is all over and airfares, they'll either either be giving them away or nobody will be able to afford them. Mm, well, yeah, <laughs> that's it. We'll, we'll wait and see. But on that note, thank you very much to Crime Alt, to Rowling's label, stickers and packaging, and to Beer Cartel who make this all possible. And thank you to all of you who listen. Um, stay safe, stay home, wash your damn hands. Um, Matt, good to chat again. Always good to chat, Pete. Quick plug before we fly out. The last regular episode of – regularly scheduled episode of The Antidote – Drops tomorrow, Friday, last day of the week. Thanks again, Matt. Enjoy uh, your Thursday, and I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks, Pete. And we're out. Don't forget, if you like what we do here at Radio Brews News, you can help us out in a number of ways. You can sponsor the show either by a small monthly contribution or through a one-off donation. You'll find details in the show notes. You can also review us on iTunes or whatever your favourite podcasting service happens to be. Let us know what you think and help others find and discover our shows. Finally, you can tell us what you think about what's going on in the beer industry by emailing us at producer at brewsnews.com.au. All letters received will receive in return, as by way of thanks, a Brews News bottle opener. And thanks to our very good friends at Beer Cartel, the letter of the week will receive a mixed six-pack of great Australian beer. We love hearing your thoughts on the stories we cover because, as you may have heard, beer is a conversation. 